Welcome to the Queer Body Podcast, where we are redefining the edges of identity and healing with your host, Dr. Laura Polak, a somatic healer and chiropractor. Let's join the podcast. Welcome to the Queer Body. I have the pleasure of speaking to Peg Capers today, and I'm going to start us with this amazing quote about her work. This work represents the nervous system interconnected web in which we are all a part. What matters to the individual matters to the community and the globe. My core value is people being exactly who they are to the highest extent and to have their health support this. That's how they will make the greatest contribution to humanity and we all will value each one's role in evolving humanity. With that, I give you Dr. Peg Capers. Welcome, Peg. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you. It's so great to have you here. Will you introduce yourself for us? Sure. I'm Dr. Peg Capers. I am a chiropractor. (laughs) I am white. I am queer. I go by she and her. I'm able-bodied. I grew up in a middle-class family. I'm of European descent. Uh, I am hearing, and I am many other things. (laughs) (laughs) I currently live in Santa Cruz County, which is the Awaswas Nation's unceded territory. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of that. It, It can be a mouthful to try to figure out what to include in there. And I appreciate you owning all of that. Would you mind going back to this amazing quote that we just started with? And tell me what it means for you. Absolutely. I think um, one of the things that I valued both in my life experience, in addition to working with people's bodies, is that there's so much that lives within each of our lives that we don't always have the opportunity to witness in each other. And when somebody lays down on the table or has a conversation with you, you get to see how that's organized in their body. And one of the things that that's afforded me is to understand that what's happening in our nervous system, the level of safety, the experiences we've had that have even allowed us to develop safety, uh, what parts of us have moved into growth, all of that kind of arc of change in someone's body, and I'm going to emphasize body here and nervous system, the connection between the brain and the spinal cord and all of us is really essential that each person can have that arc of moving from safety to growth, to authenticity, to what are we here for? And, you know, I think as somebody who's in her (laughs) fifties, you see that that happens in many ways as we age. And I think that that process can happen earlier on in our lives with acknowledging how the nervous system has patterned, how it's magnificent at unpatterning, and how safety as a minimum is the key for that. And how do we create that in each body so that we can also start to have each body organically value and bring forward that safety and honoring of other people beyond our conditioning to each other and how that creates a cascade that I think is um, profound. 
Oh my gosh, I can't even tell you how many things I'm going to have to unpack with that. <laughs> that, was, that was a lot. <laughs> so let me just back up because, you know, you and I are both chiropractors. You and I have a common understanding of this language about the nervous system and the spinal cord and safety and evolution. But I'm not sure that everybody else holds the same understanding about the nervous system. So as doctors of the nervous system, we study how the body moves into fight or flight when it's out of safety and how we have to protect ourselves and what we do to protect ourselves. And then in this kind of miraculous way, people show up at our office and and we can see where the system is stuck. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's accurate to see where, I mean, I, I love to see it as where the system is repeating patterns that in a moment it chose to protect that was absolutely the right decision to do that. But then part of what our brain, which is, you know, a big part of our nervous system, and then the spinal cord is the extension of that through our body and becomes, the two of them together become an expression of us both health, emotions, how we see the world, and and so on. But that that moment that the nervous system chooses to protect, and again, I'm going to say for all the right reasons, (laughs) it begins a patterning that is um, very rightly so automatic within our nervous system to choose protection first. But I think what most of us don't know, and myself included, and sometimes we can't really even appreciate until we're working with the body this way, is that that is informing many aspects of how our health is unfolding, what kind of emotions we have, how we respond to life, how we value things, we don't value things, including ourselves. And not to go on and on, but to go back to that is that, you know, this happens in in utero, this happens in very young ages. This happens all the way up through our, you know, high school years, school years, peer forming. And in that, they're unconscious mechanisms to keep us safe. And wow, that's so, so, so important. Here's what I think the kicker is. Neurologically, we can't do safety and growth at the same time. We can't do safety and healing at the same time. And that means within our own system, and I believe that at some point we become even capped around how much more we can do that with each other. And I think actually that needs to be spoken to more in the world, in the world of healing and evolution. I totally agree with everything you're saying. Again, I'm just going to slow it down a little bit. So let's start with the social justice Mm -hmm. in community, because it is part of this amazing quote. And we are living in times where the nervous system would be challenged. And Mm -hmm. this is a queer podcast. So we could talk about how being queer could be challenging at times, but also being a person of color, um, you know, with the Black Lives Matters movement, with war happening right now, with all of those things being challenges to the nervous system, why why does the nervous system get overwhelmed and hold it in such a way? Why are you saying that's a good thing and rightfully so? And why wouldn't we just keep going on with it? I mean, why would I come see you to unwind it? What's the point? Why, why do we hold it in our system, Peg? Mm. Well, I think because, you know, in times of uncertainty, which we are in very, I think we're always in those times, but I think that as a culture and communities on a globe, we've been in a very 
visible one that we can all experience via media, via more connection with each other um, in lots of ways that we have become more of a global connected, not solely, obviously that's not totally true, but in a larger context, we have more visuals, we have more conversations. And in that, what I'm saying though, is that when we have uncertainty, the nervous system doesn't know what to predict. And so it will predict how to survive or protect is the primary response. Now, inherent in that means that we don't actually have full capacity to be compassionate, to be relational, because if we just even think about what protection is, it really does imply that something is against us that we have to protect from. And so the reason the body does that, it does that for reasons that our conscious mind or where we are in our life in other ways can't undo without providing it the safety to come along. Does that make sense at least? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And so the the purpose of having people on the table, having people come in the office, doing embodied connection to ourself, that means touching our bodies, that means tuning into how our body's responding, acknowledging that response, sometimes connecting to find safety in ways before we return to how we might be reacting to something, that that furthers the conversation around how do we move from what might be more insular in some communities, like we might, you know, neurologically, we're sort of wired to protect, which means we tend to isolate. But what we can do, because that's what the nervous system does, like shut down, you know, let's make ourselves like, you know, as small as possible to protect ourselves. But we also know that we need each other for healing and community. And in some communities, they put that person right in the middle and surround them. <laughs> but yeah. if that's great because the community holds that. But yeah. what the body does inherently is to retreat. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is we want to just very in a blanket way move forward in any ways in ourselves and relationships with others and relationships with the natural world of which we're also a part of. If we want to be more relational, then every way that we help our body move by acknowledging where it doesn't feel safe and giving it the safety into some other places, then we will inherently start to have more growth in these other ways that we really need to relate to even hard things with each other. Yeah, I think this is a really great point to bring up because um, actually in one of our previous conversations with Fresh Lev, we were talking about the acknowledgement of suffering. Mm. And that so often in our communities, what we do is just try to push through it because it makes us uncomfortable. And sitting with what's uncomfortable is really difficult for most people, let alone with what's uncomfortable for yourself and in your body. So if your nervous system overrides something because you didn't feel safe, having to go back and actually be with it and just sit with it as opposed to making it go away, which our culture is really good at. Mm -hmm. um, if I have back pain, the whole point is to make it go away as opposed to sitting with what's there with it. Um, is really crucial and important to the healing, not just of ourselves, but of our communities. Um, even with, you know, right now, one of the things that's been happening is people will put up a sign that says Black Lives Matter in their windows, but they're not doing any of the actions to actually help create safety and 
in a community so that the safety is there. It's more than just a sign. It's more than a poster. It's how do we create safety in our community, in ourselves, with the people around us. So I really hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that you're bringing that up because I think, you know, the example that you just brought about like the sign, Black Lives Matter, you know, it does come down to relationships, right? And so if any part of our system, others, um, as an automatic response to create safety, and again, I'm just going to say we've had experiences that really make that true. We have messages that make that true. So this is where I'm saying it's doing it for very valid reasons. Absolutely. (laughs) And it is the relationship. It's the connection that helps us have different experiences of that and varied in that. And that's why a sign isn't enough, but a conversation, even a hard one, even one in which, oh my gosh, I came from this place and you came from that place. But there's enough safety somehow within each of our bodies to maybe come to a new place. That doesn't mean we ignore where we've come from or ignore what just happened. It means that we uh, you move forward or move forward together or agree to move forward separately and come together at a different moment, that there's so many more options available to us. And that way we get to actually acknowledge the suffering that's there. And awesome. suffering is a real part of humanity. And to just try to move forward without acknowledging the suffering doesn't help anybody heal. I'm going to move this to the you know, the other half of this conversation, which is being queer. And um, since we are talking about places where the system has moved into suffering or fight or flight, have you had any places in your life where being queer has not been validating for you, where you've had to do a shutdown? Mm, Absolutely. I think of how often people say, oh, yeah, we've made so much progress. And, you know, I, I can say that yeah, I have those experiences still, (laughs) you know, and that I think about like when I was in my 20s, is it different than where I am now? Yes. Is it different in me or is it different in the world? That's a great question. (laughs) I think maybe a little bit of both, but that comes back to why I think this is so important, right? But yes, I have moments where, you know, and it's interesting, I think, if it's okay to tease this out, where we see or call something a shutdown, it may be that I feel, oh, I can't say what I really think, or I can't really show myself. That's like one level of shutdown. Or it may move into a way that my stomach's upset, or I have a headache. That's another kind of shutdown, potentially. Or it may move into like other behaviors that I can't even see come from that. And I think that's actually what's really tender for me to see at this stage of the game. How that might, those experiences in my younger years and those current experiences still sometimes inform my behaviors or my thinking about myself or valuing myself or other people. You know, that's a, it's a constant unfolding that I, I think I'm making peace with, and I'm also trying to have more um, grace with in myself too, as well as other people. Got it. And if it's not too personal, do you have a personal story that you would be willing to share where you personally felt shut down by Mm. community or by something in your world? Because I think this idea of shutdown becomes exactly that shutdown. We don't share it. Mm -hmm. We don't share where oh my gosh, you know, actually this does happen on a daily basis. I just ignore it. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
Let me think just for a moment, because I keep having one that comes to mind. <laughs> so maybe I'll just share that one. Okay. This is years ago, but when I was, um, I used to be a sign language interpreter, and I lived in a part of the country that's much more rural and um, more conservative, just to say, than where we are in the relative larger Bay Area. And I was coming up as a, a new interpreter. And, you know, you're in a variety of situations, and, you know, I had a more seasoned interpreter really just kind of say to me, hey, why don't you just like come out to this person and that person and that person and that person? And I I wasn't even quite sure how to say to her in that moment, like, I really believe that I won't be successful mm. if people know this about me. Mm-hmm. And I was the only or one or two or three only people that I knew who was even in this community that was was queer, you know? And, and so in that moment, I just had this like, whoa, like I, to survive, I have to hide and I will have to make choices every moment around my success as an interpreter by how much I show of myself. Right. And so I think that there's moments that that still lives in me. I think at this point, my practice, I'm very open about being queer, but there was a period of time that um, I think I was still in that like, oh, do I have to tell people that? Like, <laughs> right. how, do, how do you tell people this? And then I just started realizing, oh, like you just, I just have to put some things forward that essentially the work of always coming out, if you don't meet an assumption of what people think you should look like to be queer is an ongoing thing to have to keep working with. And how do I make sure that I don't get assumed as not queer. I, yes, no, this is a conversation again that, that we had in a, in a previous one. And it is something for me in practice that, that is even actually doing this podcast. I got mm-hmm. a little bit nervous about people's wondering about my queerness because it is, they're not there to hear about my queerness. Mm-hmm. And yet in practice, I come out to every single person somehow or another within the first two visits because I need it to be a place where I feel safe in my office, which sounds ridiculous to me even saying now, but I want people to know exactly where I'm coming from. So I have signs up. I have things that I say about my partner, Mm -hmm. um, about my community, so that anybody who is going to give me grief knows that this isn't a place for them. Absolutely. Yeah. It's still a continued journey for me. And sometimes that's about, am I in relationship? Am I not in relationship? And then, but yes, it's like, what are, what are the visuals if it's not you? What are the things that essentially how I've come to see it is, you know, for me, being out is for me and being out is for the community. And I've really been looking more honestly at that. I would say in the past, you know, five or six years. Awesome. I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I think it's really important to me. I've always been out and I'm always as out as can be, but it does get tiresome and it is part of the stress of day-to-day living. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece that I just want to dovetail in here is the for me, the queerness also being as an alternative practitioner, which I've discussed before that I find even that term offensive. But having to constantly defend who I am as a alternative network 
style of chiropractic, that the way that we work in the world with bodies and nervous systems is different than the cultural norm, that that in itself is queer and coming out with that and talking to people and educating people on that point of view. Do you have that experience as well? Yes, I think that that's changed a little bit over the years, but I understand exactly what you're speaking to is there's that way that, you know, when you talk about like how is being queer affected me, it's like, yeah, that, oh, I don't want to be different again, you know? And there's other times where it's like, I'm so glad that I'm different. Right. And I think that that's part of the like fluidity of the experience is, you know, there, there's times where we really value that we buy taking on that different perspective. I'm just going to say it that way. And that's from the cultural matrix, if I understand absolutely yeah. your ideas about that too. You know, it's like, is when I take that on, it's actually also what brings newness. And I totally hear you. Yeah, I think there's an initial, when I think I'm having an opinion or a belief or an action that is going to push that edge. I'm going to say it that way. Mm-hmm. Meaning I may be seen again as different or all the things that comes with that. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. You know, I can hesitate, you know, and, and have to sometimes talk myself through that. And then I think there are other times that I think that the practice of having had to do that as a queer person also does serve me. So it, it's kind of a both. <laughs> I agree with you. And do you also have that queerness in being outside the conventional norm as a healer? Yes. What you're doing is so not what everybody else thinks of as healing with conventional medicine being the standard of care. Mm-hmm. Does that show up for you as well when you're talking to people about what you do for a living? Actually, you know, I think it doesn't. I think actually I have a sense of pride about that. Mm-hmm. I have a sense of, and I hesitate to use the word pride, I have a sense of owning that as why I do what I do. And that um, has been really helpful for me is that I really want to be different. I want you to come to the office for something different. Now, does that mean it doesn't take some conversation to bridge those at times? Yes. And, And I wholeheartedly feel like that is what I offer somebody is is something that is not only unique because I'm unique, so to speak, as an individual, but the, you know, the offering that we do with this particular kind of addressing the nervous system is really needed to be different. (laughs) Perfect. Which, you know, kind of moves right on into my next question that I've been asking people about. Well, so how do you assist someone in Mm -hmm. understanding what's happening with them right now and part of that discovery? Mm. And do you mean like, how do I actually apply that? Or how did can you ask? Yeah, so if they're coming into your office for this novel way, and they're steeped in a culture, you know, let's say they watch TV, or, you know, Mm. they're just in the normal American culture. And then you're saying, hey, you have places in your body that are holding tension or that have shut down that we're going to create safety for how do you bridge those worlds? Mm. Well, I think I start really by asking why they're here in the first place. I think that that's a good way to kind of get an idea of what we can relate to in that, because I don't think at this point anybody's super surprised coming into my office that I'm doing something different. Mm -hmm. And so I get curious and with them, what are they looking to perhaps experience or grow or shift that they haven't yet found? 
And then in that, I believe that we can start to have a conversation around, you know, maybe they've gotten progress to a certain uh, point, or maybe they haven't been heard when they've spoken to another doctor or physician or healer. And so that becomes the progress that's available here. But those are all things that I think in action or in behavior start to create the safety that I'm speaking to, like Mm -hmm. even before it's touching the body is that for us as practitioners to be able to see, wow, yeah, you, you weren't seen as a black person and what you know about your health and your body and you got totally overlooked by a white practitioner. Or it's the same thing around a family that maybe is polyamorous and how they're being treated in the system. You know, it's like if you're able to see that as the practitioner is the gap, that's what's starting to actually bridge the gap, I believe. And so I think when people feel that, and this is where I'm going to keep going like body, 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 embodiment, (laughs) is when we feel that settling in our body, Mm -hmm. then the other things around, well, I was taught to do it this way, or this is right or wrong. We now have two different reference points that we can attune to, mm-hmm. which one is to be like, well, what does my body feel like when we're speaking about this? Oh my gosh, I feel so relieved. Like maybe some healing is possible, you know? And that's where I think that we can, that's how I help people discover that, if you will, is like, finding that way where, uh, you know, th- there's just a moment where you poke a hole in the the defense or the protection where something else can emerge. I really appreciate that a lot. And I also feel that, you know, sometimes just creating the space where as a LGBTQIA BIPOC um, immigrants, I really, you know, my my father's an immigrant, so I love working with immigrants. Just giving a moment to speak their truth and see them and hear them and hold space is gorgeous. And I want to add to that, that most of the work that you do, most of the work that I do is without words. Mm. So there's a witnessing that happens without um, any of that. Mm. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful question. So yes, beyond the moment of words, is I think where I'm coming back to is there's a lot that we are registering in each other's bodies. Mm. So let's just even make it more palpable in the sense that let's say now the person is face down on the table, how I sit in my body with who they are and my level of connection in my body and appreciation and love, I mean, in an embodied way. I mean, I think we all know there's like a relaxed, open giving state that's, again, before any physical action or words, Mm -hmm. that when that is there, I can also see, you know, how I hold myself, they take a breath, or they tighten. And then when we apply the context that we do, and we're actually really specifically going to places where they already feel safe and connected and we see how that unwinds we start to see the relationships between what our nervous system systems are communicating with each other Mm -hmm. before any moment of what you know our conscious mind would say a contact whether that's words whether that's touch Mm -hmm. whether that you know an agreement and i think in that like i do want to say it's holding space but i also want to say that i think that this is again why i keep going back to this embodiment piece is it is 
creating something in the space that becomes more available. That's really well spoken. I appreciate that clarity because I think a lot of times, you know, it's a podcast, we're talking. So we're talking about the words, but most of the work is actually done without words. Yes. Yes. Thank you for speaking to that. Yeah, I really appreciate that because I do think that there isn't a human listening who hasn't had the experience of feeling something as somebody's approaching them Mm -hmm. without words. And even the children that come into the practice, they can easily tell you if you are in a curled up position, what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And if you have your arms open and you're stretched to the sky, what you're feeling, there's not a person on the planet who can't read that language and read the frequency of the vibration, somebody coming towards you. And although that sounds new age, we all do it. It's most mm-hmm. of our communication. Yeah, absolutely. Can I tell a really quick story? Oh, gosh, please. <laughs> I have a friend who I recently cat set for. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, she said, what did you do to my cat? <laughs> <laughs> so, like soft and cuddling. And doing <laughs> he doesn't usually do. He seems so regulated. And now I'm not saying this to toot my own horn by any means, but mm-hmm. what I am saying is to, to anchor in this point that what's happening in one's nervous system is having an impact. Mm-hmm. And we know it, back to your example, Laura, in both directions. And there's a lot of gray in between. And that's also, I think, well, you know, where we're offering some ways that we can all benefit even from one person's system being more at ease. Perfect. I want to just invite you to share anything else about being queer because I've been really enjoying our conversation about you as a health practitioner, but wanted to give you a moment to talk about being queer if there's anything you'd like to say. Mm, Yeah, I'm so glad that I'm on this podcast at this stage of my life because (laughs) I really value my queerness in ways that has been its own, own, you know, becoming. I really have come to see it as I hold many different possibilities at once Mm. within myself. Mm. And so there are times when I, I think expected my own kind of predictability or self-definition to be smaller than I actually am. (laughs) And I think that like queerness has constantly opened that up. And I mean that even like, this is going to sound really hokey, but even in like looking at like, the pride flag and like, you know, like just different colors and like how ways that I can relate to that. It's like, oh, like in ways that I didn't used to, (laughs) you know, it's like, oh, I could be this thing today and this thing today and this thing today. And I'm still queer. Like it's become like a way that I didn't almost even understand I needed an identity because I felt like I had so many. And that's not to say that I don't think it has its own meaning. So I just want to say that. But I do think that I can find new parts of myself in the meaning that it has. And what it has allowed me to do is really not be binary in any way would be the best way I can say it. In my thinking, in my behaviors, in like moment to moment, I can kind of find more of myself to be that's not yeah, it's not based on an idea of what I have to be. And that is really freeing for me. And it almost makes me want to cry. That is really the part around like why I think it's so important to be in a queer body, because I it's not only my dream, but it is also my experience that like, wow, it's so like refreshing 
and growing and helpful to be around queerness. And I don't think just because I'm queer that I feel that way. Yeah. I really get that so much. I appreciate you sharing all that because um, the binary has been so loud in our cultural matrix lately mm-hmm. and being able to break through that. And I I mean, I will just speak to the fact that I, I am interviewing friends and family I've known for a while, which makes us all of a certain generation. Mm-hmm. And so the the richness of queerness is different. And I look forward to speaking with with younger people who have a different view of what queerness means. But I do think in our 50s, being able to redefine ourselves all the time and not feeling locked in by the binary is just delicious. I cannot imagine living any other way. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you sharing that. My last question for you is, would you have a practice for people to use at home that might touch in on any of the things that we just talked about? Yeah, I think on some level, it's a self-awareness practice to tune into the body and really acknowledge and become aware of what's happening in the body and using that as a place to move from. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you are walking into a grocery store and something about you suddenly feels very distracted. Mm-hmm. What if you, you know, whether you step out of the store or you just, you know, stand by the produce that you love, <laughs> is like tune into like what's really going on in your body and like, wow, is it like, oh, the lights are really distracting, you know, or is it the like, yeah, I don't, I don't wish to be in this store for some other reasons. And then follow that response, like value that response. And I'm also, even though I'm sort of talking about a move away from scenario, I'm also talking about moving towards. Notice what you want to move towards and really tune into the body is more of a barometer that has so much wisdom Mm. around what you need to pay attention to for yourself. It's not a should. What you need to pay attention for your body to help you create more coherence and ease in your life. And so if you tune in and you don't know what it is, it doesn't mean we figure it out from our minds. It just means, oh, yeah, I feel kind of agitated. What do you need for that agitation? And that's where it goes back. Do I need to just step out of the store and come back later? (laughs) You know, or do I need to hang out in the produce section because green leafy vegetables make me feel at ease? Like whatever it might be. How Northern California of you. (laughs) I'm an East Coaster. (laughs) I love green leafy vegetables. Not not necessarily even to eat. I might be the person that wants to go stand next to because they're beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, it has been wonderful to have you on the show. I would like you to give us your details. If people want to work with Peg, these are the ways you can reach her. Yes, I am located in Santa Cruz and my office name is Evolve Wellness Studio. You can find our website that is all of that word uh, or all of those words as one.com. We're getting a new website in April. So if you see this soon and it's like, uh, don't worry, a new we're evolving as well. <laughs> with a new website. Our office phone number is uh, 831-420-1212. And, you know, we, we welcome people just um, getting a chance to meet who we are and seeing if we're a good match because we, we know that that first connection is really key to how healing unfolds. 
Awesome. And are you doing any social media of any kind, Peg? Yes, I am on Instagram and Facebook. Best thing to look for on Instagram is dr.peg.capers. Um, and Facebook is Evolve Wellness Studio, also with Dr. Peg Capers. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you as well. It's been a pleasure. Mine too. You've been listening to the Queer Body Podcast where we are redefining the edges of queer identity and healing. For more information about Dr. Laura Polak or our podcast, check out our website, communityholistichealth.com. Thank you for listening.